cool. Um, it's been a really cool weekend. Um, we've um, we've talked so far about um, how we are called to to be a new people, and how the prophetic is about calling out those new people. That the all creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Um, and that the prophecy is about calling forth the revealed sons and daughters. Um, and, um, and so we do that um, by offering invitations, by offering encouragements, by offering interruptions. And these are in order that God would restore the humanity, um, the divinity and the dignity of his people. Um, but transform people are, are meant to go and transform society. Um, we um, are not meant to take what happens here. And then, I mean, I, I don't know if any of you um, came to faith in your teen years, but I basically just um, just limped from one camp to the next. <laughs> um, it's just like, Lord, you have to be at this next camp or it's all over. Um, and, um, and, and that's not the people we want to be, eh? That actually, like, we, we, um, we are revealed as the sons and daughters of God so that we may go and reveal more sons and daughters of God. Um, it is for freedom that we are set free. We are made free to go and make more people free. Um, and, um, and so transformed people are meant to be agents of a transformed society and prophetic words must lead to prophetic action um, of creating a new world and a new culture and you know that this is like right in the heart of who Blueprint is we talk so much about that word from Cindy Uruakele that we are to be a prototype um, and that we are to model something different and, and I want you to know that as, um, as I go and, and speak at, at different things that people know about this community and this community is a small community that packs a big punch um, around Aotearoa, um, and that um, and that we, we we have become that prototype. Um, and and so we're trying to live we're trying to live into this um, prophetic new world and culture. Um, and it's what Jesus calls this thing called the kingdom of God, um, which if you were um, you could be mistaken for thinking that the kingdom of God is somewhere we will one day go. Um, because it's often in the scriptures referred to as the kingdom of heaven as well. And definitely, um, uh, I think right into my 20s, my understanding was that this would, was a place I would one day head off to. Um, but what it's actually about is that it's the kingdom of God is Jesus ushering in a new reign. Ushering in a new society, a transformed culture. Um, and there are so many things that you can miss in the ministry of Jesus that are this colossal up yours to the empire of the time. This colossal up yours. Oh, I just, I'm just going to quickly go into one of my favourites, which some of you will be familiar with, but some of you will know the, the passage where Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, um, and in the time, it, it just so happened that, um, that when Caesar was, um, the coronation of Caesar would happen, what they would do is they would parade him through town on a horse this big, like, fantastic ceremony of Caesar coming through town. And then when they uh, got him to the end of the parade, they would place a crown upon his head, and then they would lift Caesar up onto a throne. And Caesar would have talked to all his best astronomers and astrologers and tried to work out if there might be a meteor shower or something around that time or a planet that would align in a certain part of the sky so that they could say, look, there's the evidence in the skies that, um, that Caesar is the Lord, that he is the Son of God. Um, and so interesting, you look at this passage of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and what does he do? Man, he takes the piss. He gets on a donkey <laughs> and rides this parade, and the people wave palm fronds, the Jewish symbol of resistance at the time, and he rides down, and then what follows that? They put a crown of thorns upon his head, they lift him up onto the throne, which is the cross, and what do we hear? That the skies went dark. 
that Christ's whole entry into Jerusalem and his crucifixion was a parody of the powers. Isn't that incredible? Amazing, amazing stuff that Jesus is calling what he brings a kingdom to deliberately set it up in contrast to the empire of the age. And that's what, that, that, that is a huge part of the reason Jesus is killed. It's because he comes and says, I'm starting a new government. I'm starting a new reign. Now, how do you think governments deal with that? Like, bad marketing strategy, Jesus. But yet, those are the words he chooses to describe this thing. He says, it's not, it's not just a new way of being. It's not a new set of emotions. No, it's a reign. And it is against your oppressive reign, Caesar. It is against your taxation system. It's against your exploitation of the poor. It is, it is against your hierarchy. It is against your, your claim that lies are truth. Jesus sets himself up counter to the empires of the day. And he continues to do that today because we know the empires haven't actually changed. Eh? If history teaches us anything, it's that we don't learn anything, right? <laughs> that, um, that we had Caesar once and we have Trump now and round and round and round it goes. Um, and Jesus right now is looking for creative prophetic people with the imagination to parody Trump and to parody the empire that is trying to turn lies, uh, trying to convince us that lies are truth and trying to convince us that the empire is a valid way to live. So, so we are people who are healed by prophecy. We are invited, we are encouraged, we are interrupted. Our dignity, our humanity and our divinity is restored in order that we would go free more sons and daughters of God. And Jesus calls this the kingdom of God, his new reign that is coming on earth. We say this in our Eucharistic prayer, right? Let us give thanks for the coming of God's reign of justice and love. And we say Jesus Christ is good news for the poor, release for the captive, liberty for the oppressed, and recovery of sight for the blind. Slightly wrong order, but that's all right, we got there. Um, and um, see, I have a lot more words to remember than you guys. Um, and so he calls this the kingdom of God. So what I want to look at this morning is there are six particular parables that are specific that Jesus tells with regard to the kingdom of God in this new society. And the great thing is they all like kind of measure up in pairs, which gives you a great three-point sermon. Um, so um, the first of those is um, the parable of the mustard seed, which is in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 13. And, uh, and, and Jesus, Jesus says this. He sent another man before them saying, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is smaller than all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. Soon after that, Luke 13, he tells this parable, parable of the leaven. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So what do we know here? First up, we know that the kingdom is compared here to two unwanted things. So the mustard seed, um, it was a noxious weed. In, in, in Israel, you would try to keep this out of your garden because of what this had, it had this habit of doing was burrowing under the surface. You didn't know it was in there and then gradually it would pull apart the roots of every other plant, kill everything and then rise up. And so this was not something you wanted in your garden. The second thing that Jesus uses here as an illustration for his kingdom is another really unwanted thing, a really controversial thing, a microbial bacteria called yeast. Now, every other time in the Gospels that Jesus talks about yeast, it's negative. 
Like, seriously, he could choose better metaphors, eh? Like, he chooses these two unwanted things. And ever since Moses, the Jews had eaten unleavened bread. Because that is what they've eaten when what God had provided to them in the desert. So this is, like, really culturally offensive, too. That Jesus says, this new movement I'm bringing, which is going to take down the empire, is going to use the thing you're not allowed to use to do it. Not helpful. Not helpful at all. So he could have chosen better, less offensive metaphors. Um, what's, what's interesting here, so firstly we have two things here that are unwanted. And secondly, we have two things that are hidden. And that first one, we have a mustard seed that a man buried in his field. And then secondly, we have yeast that a woman hid in three measures of flour. It's unwanted and it's hidden. Both parables speak of an invisible force which emerges eventually, but not at first. When it starts, it's just hiding within the batch. We don't know it's there, it's just hiding within the field, doing its thing, but gradually getting into everything. And Christianity has always been at its worst when we've been in bed with power. Like, when the church has sucked, it's when we've been bound up with government. It's always been really bad. When the church has sucked, it's always been when we've had power because at the core of the DNA of the gospel is that it is meant to be subversive under the surface, tearing apart the roots and then emerging as a home and a shelter for all things. You know, I, um, I love sometimes when Ty comes home, where's Ty there? Um, I love sometimes when Ty comes home with stories from working at Specsavers because one of Ty's most regular visitors um, to Specsavers is Nathan Jones. Um, and like sometimes, what, three times a day? Yeah, <laughs> sometimes four maybe. Um, and, and, and comes in and says, where's Ty? Um, and um, quite a disruptive presence, eh, in, in Thornton Specsavers. Um, but what this has led to, to for Ty is um, these people he works with going, who is this guy you hang out with and why is he so keen to see you? <laughs> and, Anna. Sorry? Or Anna. Or Anna. <laughs> <laughs> Walking into Specsavers, where's Anna? <laughs> um, but, but actually, you know? And, um, and I kind of think like, Nathan speaks to this kind of thing, of the seed under the surface, of the space, you know, Thornton Key, wealthy, affluent, speck savers. In comes Nathan. Don't want to walk home, though. Do you have any money? Or smokes. Or smokes. But Nathan comes in and speaks something different about Ty's life, and time and time again, he has been the seed through which this tree emerges in Ty's workplace to be able to speak to the kingdom of God at work in his life, in his home, and, and in his church. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and all hate me talking about her. I'm going to talk about her a little bit. <laughs> um, but, but just um, watching over the last year the way that... Um, Anna, through caring for young people and, um, and, and, and fanning into flame Te Reo Māori at, um, at Wellington High School alongside one of her co-workers and to watch that Māori department pretty much double in size over the last two years, to watch Jacinda Arden turn up to talk to her young people is this incredibly powerful thing and it's the subversive force you know, that these people live where they influence under the surface and gradually it grows up and it becomes a shelter to young people who need a shelter, or it becomes, it becomes an invitation to Ty's workmates to another way. 
See, the kingdom of God is this unwanted, noxious bacteria that becomes a home for all. How's that? The kingdom of God is this unwanted, noxious bacteria that becomes a home for all. The kingdom of God is subversive. It's us working away under the surface to bring change in time that there will be a home and a place for all, that the sons and daughters of God will be revealed. The second um, set of parables, Matthew 13, parable of the sower. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Do you think that's a pun? Whoever has ears, it's all right. Um, um, Mark 4, the next parable, um, and he said, The kingdom of God is as, is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What I, what I like here is that um, in this picture of the kingdom, Jesus uses organic metaphors. Um, some of the seed was effective, some of it wasn't. Um, there's a, a man, he sleeps and the seed sprouts, but he doesn't know how. Just put it down there in the morning. There it is. And um, we, know, we know this about a garden, right? I mean, I, I know this. A few years ago, I gave Blueprint like 80 harakiki plants. Um, if you got one of those, who got one of those? Okay, who's is still alive? Once, right? <laughs> so, so you can know here that the thing is with organic stuff, we have all these plants in our house, eh? And I feel like I'm so good to them. But I go to sleep and then they're dead. Um, and these organic metaphors that Jesus uses here, it's like that, that, that a garden is not something you can control, right? You can only try to create a space for growth. But actually, the, he sleeps and the seed sprouts, but he doesn't know how. And somehow our kawakawa is dead. We know this about a garden, that we can provide ideal circumstances for growth, but that there is something mysterious in here where we are actually not in control. When the kingdom of God comes, we are not in control. We are just obedient. And I I heard an interesting stat the other day. Someone was saying that about 15% of the world's land is actually like naturally able to grow crops. And we have turned that up to about 65-70% through chemicals. Like, like, isn't that that kind of interesting as a picture of like, that Jesus is saying, we can't know. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We're like, we need to engineer this so it works. And what are we doing? Killing our land, eh? And killing our environment and killing our climate by doing it. That, um, that, we want, that we want efficiency. But the kingdom of God is wildly inefficient. It's just so inefficient. Such a pain. Like, we, we cannot have an efficiency mindset. The efficiency mindset is the, the, the imperial mindset. And the kingdom mindset, we just don't know. Think about the seed sower. She sows indiscriminately over parts and rocks and soil. You see someone walking down the middle of Tudor Street just throwing <laughs> seed on the pavers. You're like, you idiot. She's like, no, I'm just dropping it everywhere. We'll just see what happens. She seems to have no idea what will happen. 
But the point is, in this passage, is that we are called to call forth life wherever it may be. And it is not whether the life comes forth that is our responsibility. That is a work of the Spirit. We are just to go prophetically calling forth the sons and daughters of God everywhere. In fact, even better if in the most hopeless corners of the earth. And the second point I want to bring here today is that the kingdom of God is indiscriminate. Absolutely indiscriminate. It is a everywhere. Try it everywhere. Share this gospel. Share this truth. Bring the reign of Jesus everywhere. If it sticks, good. If it doesn't, not your problem. Not your circus. Not your monkeys. God's circus. His monkeys. Um, so it is not for us to care what happens. It is for us to sow seed and to call forth life. You know, um, Anna and I have this um, this little bank account we set up a few years ago. We call our it's called on our bank account line. It's called the little storehouse, and uh, and basically every week we throw some cash in there, and we just have this little bank account that kind of piles up, so that when there are like moments to be indiscriminate, we can just be indiscriminately generous with people. Um, and um, and the other week um, I was uh, going to get a bottle of wine um, from New World Metro, I think Garwin and Olivia were coming around. And as I'm walking in, there's this guy outside who's, who's begging, and, um, and we've got some of this money piled up in this account. And I just felt like the spirit was like, man, wouldn't it be just crazy to give that guy a hundred bucks? Well, he could just go on now. Um, and so I walk in and I think about it for a little while, and I do all the thinking of like, oh, what's he going to spend it on? Um, will this be a worthwhile investment? <laughs> and, um, and so anyway, I go into the supermarket, take out this $100, and I kind of wanted to have some fun with it. Um, and so I came out and he says, oh, have you got a dollar, bro? I'm like, how about a hundred? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so I hand him this hundred bucks, and, um, and I walk off down the street, and I see this guy jumping around the pavement. <laughs> And then I see his friends come around in the corner and pick him up. <laughs> so, um, but the, the point is, like, I don't know what he did with that money. All I know is that God asks for us to call forth life wherever it may be. You know, on another occasion, um, this has been actually one of the coolest things I think we've done in our marriage is to have this, this little bank account. On another occasion, we um, were trying to go to Mumford & Sons, trying to get last-minute tickets, and we, um, we roll up and... Um, and there's just no more tickets. We're not going to be able to go to the show. Um, and so we, we're like, we see this girl who's sitting there looking really sad. And we're like, oh, what's going on? She's like, oh, I thought I'd be able to get in. I can't. I love them. I'm like, okay. And so I think we had a pray. And we're like, we'll go to the ticket office. And if there's one ticket left, we'll buy it. We go to the ticket office. Surely enough, there's one ticket left. Um, so we buy the ticket, take it to her. And the girl just immediately bursts into tears. And we're like, um, she says, why are you doing this? We said, because Jesus loves you. And he wants you to know that he loves you. (laughs) This is this indiscriminate love. Doesn't make sense. Now, does a Pākehā wealthy girl in the West really need to go to another concert? Probably not. Did God want to shower his love on her by getting her to Mumford and Sons? Hell yes. (laughs) Like... This is the love of God. This is the nature of the kingdom, is to call forth life wherever that life may be. Wherever that life may be. The kingdom of God is indiscriminate. You know, I've loved over the last while watching Hamish Dobby come alive in the gifts of the the prophetic. 
um, and just be indiscriminate and ridiculous for this. I mean, Hamish got in so much trouble in his workplace the other week for giving a prophetic word to someone in a stakeholder meeting with government. <laughs> <laughs> not land. <laughs> Did not land, but call forth life, Hamish. Beautiful. <laughs> Seed grew up and choked Hamish. No. Um, <laughs> but beautiful, you know, it is for us to be indiscriminate. The kingdom of God is subversive, growing under the surface, growing up, offering shelter to all, and the kingdom of God is indiscriminate. Throwing our money, throwing our time, throwing our lives at the most insane causes that people may have some of the seed of God's gospel take root in their lives. That's how we're called to live. And the thing is, you know, we can be indiscriminate if we know how generous our God is. Because actually there's no lack in his storehouse, right? We get, again, I talked about it yesterday, we get into the scarcity mentality. And we become a stingy people, and I love that adaptation one of the guys from Coffee Supreme did of, um, of uh, one of the, the proverbs where he said, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, but the world of the generous gets larger and larger. You know? And we need to be a generous people who sow seed, whether it's on the rocks, whether it's on the pavement, whether it's in the place the birds are going to eat it, at least the birds will enjoy it, whether it's on the place where it will grow, right? The kingdom of God is subversive working under the surface. The kingdom of God is indiscriminate. Then the final couple of parables, parable of the pearl, Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The second one is the parable of the hidden treasure, Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and buys the field. So what do we know here? Well, we know that the common thread here is that both people find something of great value. There's this theologian, John Holland, who says that he refers to this as basically the deal of a lifetime. <laughs> that you know that there's something great in this field. No one else knows it. And you can buy it. You just have to sell everything to have it. So they sell, they sell everything. Third thing I want to say that these parables show us is the kingdom of God is all in. It is all in. There's not half in with the kingdom of God. You know, when I was um, uh, when I was a teenager, there was this book that went around. Um, I don't know if any of some of you guys will remember this band DC Talk. So terrible. Oh, I should have been listening to Rage Against the Machine at the time, but I got there in the end. Um, and um, and they bought. They were all about being Jesus free. Was this thing. One day on Mufti Day at Tower College, I wore a shirt that said, I'm a Jesus freak, in big letters, and never did it again. Um, and, um, and so I may as well, it would have been less embarrassing to turn up in uniform, you know those kids. Um, and uh, anyway, they had, um, they, had this, um, they had these books they bought out, and they were kind of like modern talents of Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if any of you know that. But they were called Jesus Freaks, Volume 1 and 2. And basically what it was, these books were for teenagers. They were just books of people getting killed for their faith. <laughs> like, just like, this thick. And so that's what I came to faith on. It's just like, going to bed. <laughs> like, like, you know, um, singing History Maker and, um, and opening Jesus Freaks. 
and just being like, yeah, one day me and my family are going to go under a steamroller in communist China too. Um, and it just this is this is what I meditated on in my early faith. Um, and so this became there became this prayer for me from about the ages of nineteen to to twenty five, where every night before I went to sleep, I would pray, I would pray, Jesus, made me ready to die by twenty five. Ready to die by twenty five. That was my my prayer to God over and over and over again. Um, and then you get a little bit, little bit, little bit older, and you go to bed going, Jesus, please don't let my car get scratched while it's on the street. Um, but um, you know, ready to die by twenty five. And so we came into this. Um, we came into into zeal, um, and um, with with this idea, and it was just all in. Just everything. Just every waking minute, every waking hour, every spare dollar, every piece of energy we have. You know, I didn't know until I started leading Blueprint that there was a way to live where you didn't have a cold every day. You know? We just we just gave out all we threw ourselves against the brick wall for our young people. And we believe passionately that even though that that even though our kids might go to sleep at night, the systems which oppress them do not. And so we did everything. And so I would come to these situations where it's like there would be, um, we, we, would, we would not get funding for something and our youth workers would just look at what's in our savings account and we'd put it together and we'd just buy the thing we needed to buy. Because where do we need to go? What do we actually need? What do we need to do? You know, this is, I'm sure there's stories like this in the free store now of, you know, of, of people just passing around the head. You know, rather than going, can, can church support us to bring this friend along to thin? It's like, let's pass around the head. Let's give everything we have. Let's put some skin in the game. Let's put some blood in the ring. Like, let's be all in for Jesus. You know? And that's, that's what this is about. The kingdom of God is all in. It's all in. And I asked this the other week at church, but I want to ask this question of us tonight. You know, that we, um, this morning, sorry, most churches at night. Um, <laughs> And I want to ask this question this morning is that um, I talked the other week about that feeling maybe in high school sport or maybe you played a gig or maybe a ballet recital or something like that, Alan. And, um, and you just know that you gave it absolutely everything. You just know that there was nothing left in the tank to give. That you gave it absolutely all. And what I want to ask you this morning, I want to say the kingdom of God is all in. When was the last time you left everything on the field for Jesus? When was the last time you left everything on the field for Jesus? When was the last time you sold everything to follow Jesus? Because it's a hard one for us in the West, man. It doesn't cost us much to be Christians. But you go to other parts of the world and people leave their families. People lose their families. People are disowned. People lose their communities to follow this one called Christ who says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I don't think there's any way to look at what Jesus says about the kingdom of God without knowing that it is all in. All in. And if we are an all in people, man, that will wake up the world. You know, I tell you what, a lot of people can disagree with Jesus, they can disagree with religion, they can disagree with certain kinds of spirituality, but I find even if I'm not on the same philosophy as someone, if I see them all in, that is attractive to me. 
Because you do not see many people in this world today who are all in, right? There is something compelling to us about a person who is all in. You know, everybody knows that photo of the monk who set himself on fire, right? We know that picture not because we necessarily think he should have set himself on fire. Not because we necessarily believe in his cause, but because he went all in. It stirs something within us. And I think the world would wake up to the good news of Jesus if they saw more people who were all in, who paid the price continually, who paid the price for Jesus because we believe that he is the treasure hidden in the field. He is the pearl of great price and that it is worth selling everything to have him. Imagine if we believe that, that as John Holland the theologian says, that this is the greatest deal of a lifetime, is to give up everything we have to have Jesus. It's the deal of a lifetime, people. It's the good news. It is the deal of a lifetime to lose your entire life to follow Jesus. And we're turning down the deal of a lifetime. It's time for us to come alive today. So this kingdom is subversive. It grows under the surface and it becomes a shelter for all, for the lonely, for the desperate, for the friendless. The kingdom is indiscriminate. It throws seed. It calls forth life wherever it can, regardless of the outcome. And this kingdom is all in. Man, if we were a subversive, indiscriminate, all-in people, people could not ignore the people of God anymore. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, I think, and then we're, we're going to head into our, our groups. Um, I'm going to give you some questions for those. But, um, but let me pray a second. Father, we thank you for the work you have done this weekend, revealing us as the sons and daughters of God. We thank you for the fire that you have put within us, for the cleansing fire that has come through us. We thank you, Lord, for the little signs of hope in this community of people living your subversive, indiscriminate, all-in way. And we invite you to weld that up within us. Lord, you say, blessed are those who do not take offence on my account. So where we feel a rub with this or an offence, Lord, would you give us courage to, to receive it and to think about what it may mean for us? And we ask for your, um, your peace to come and mediate our conversations. Um, and Lord, we um, ask your grace to season every challenge that we feel from you. Amen.